Welcome to the Learning Reinvented podcast brought to you by myself, James Politilo, and the team from The Learning Effect. There are lots of learning podcasts out there, so we wanted to do something slightly different. This week, we're catching up with Rob Moores to talk about his views on learning and development. Rob, welcome to the podcast. Hi, James. Thanks, uh, thanks for inviting me along. It's a pleasure to be here. So do you want to tell the listeners a little bit about yourself and your background? Yeah, sure. So uh, um, I've uh, I've been in learning development. Well, I guess the short story is for my whole of my career, um, from being a kind of technical trainer, as I was called in the NHS at the turn of the millennium, um, through to now running my own uh, L and D and leadership consultancy, um, and that's seen me go through companies like Sky, Talk Talk, the NHS, um, kind of internet security firms, um, pretty much kind of whole whole life cycle stuff really from designing and managing and leading and delivering um so kind of all the all the the traps i talk about that we fall into as lnd i've fallen into every single one of them so interesting across that journey as you said you know you spanned public sector private sector you're now working for yourself so last time we caught up we were talking about the things that were most important to you about learning so what are they uh, well, I think the, the the things that are the most important to me, um, well, two things I think have become crucial and then they span over a third. Um, the two things that are crucial are leadership and coaching. Because um, I think we can get too obsessed with trying to build a learning culture. Um, when I personally believe we're all learning all the time anyway. Um, we seem to think that learning can only be this thing that's a, a positive impact on an organisation. Whereas, you know, if people are finding back doors to processes and and developing bad habits within their work, they're doing that because they're learning them. They're learning them from somebody or they're learning them themselves or they're, they're learning it from the system, whatever it might be. Um, so I found that, that the role of the leader and great leadership and the ability to have coaching conversations as a leader, but also with yourself and with with peers is absolutely crucial to guiding that learning to to start to build a culture of coaching rather than learning. And the thing that underpins all of those for me is the ability to communicate and have a great conversation. Um, And one of the the kind of one of my kind of funny bugbears more than anything is the kind of corporate lingo that we fall into. Um, I've got this I've got this phrase that I say um, when these kind of corporate buzzwords come out and that is, would you say that at home? Uh, And if the answer is yes, I'd say that at home. Fair enough. But if you're starting to choose words that you wouldn't say at home or even to the colleague next to you, um, why, why are you speaking like that? So I think as far as the world of learning is concerned, it's communication, conversation, and then leadership and coaching on top of it. Um, Those are the most important things for me now. So in terms of looking at that, because, you know, interestingly, you've touched on the theme of learning culture. And I saw some stuff flying around on LinkedIn this morning, just questioning, you know, the term and, and people are trying to engineer out different things in their business. They're trying to Mm create different things and you know certain people or products are trying to sell you the perfect learning culture like there is such a thing you know again you get you get all of those things in business but bring it back to to leadership and i you know i I agree with you so much sits with within the leader of a team 
how do we set those leaders up for success? You know, and you've worked for some pretty hefty organisations, you know, in something like the NHS or Sky or one of those. How do you set those leaders up to be able to develop their teams, coach, lead them in a way that is conducive to a good business performance, to people realising their potential, whatever else you think might be important in that? Uh, well, there's, there's a few things in it again. I think um, I think the first one is that too much leadership development happens when someone becomes a leader. Uh, and then we all have these conversations at some point about how our leaders, when they first come into a role, they tend to be selected because they were the best performer in a team. And then suddenly they're having to uh, lead the team that yesterday they were part of. And then we try and build development around how do you deal with that situation? Well, you know, a, a great situation around that. And one, I wrote a blog once that uh, I called uh, leadership um, pregnancy rather than leadership probation. So instead of putting someone in that role and then seeing how they go for the next nine months, give them nine months of preparing to be a leader before they actually are one. All that development. So on that first day, they know what's expected of them. The people around them have seen these people develop as leaders and people feel less inclined to have to try and prove now that there's something different on the Monday morning than they were on the Friday afternoon. Uh, and I had, a, I had a, a podcast guest of my own, actually, that it put this wonderfully, um, who was a, a major in the army. And she talked about um, when um, people come into the army, they are trained in two things. One, their job, no matter what level, what job you're doing, you're trained how to do your job. But also you're trained what it means to be a leader and a follower in the army um, because you can't have leaders unless you have followers. So what does it mean to be both of those things? And thereafter, you are continually developed as both. Not just in your job, you know, and how many organisations can genuinely say that they do that for leaders uh, in sort of the sectors that we're familiar with and work for? I think picking up from the point you made about preparing people for leadership before they get there. So not throwing them in at the deep end or starting to do that development once they're in place. I think the flip side to that as well is, is developing potential leaders in terms of recognising them. So where do you recognise innate leadership skills? And, you know, to your point back in the army of if we're teaching leadership to every role, not just those with the title of manager or leader, you know, you should expect people to lead themselves. There's, there's an element Ooh. of leadership in that. They should be able to lead and participate in a team in a way that's not just I sit there and wait to be told what to do but in the yeah. same way you know back to what you're talking about following is there's a time where you just need to be able to be part of that team and not pull us in a different direction or, or you know try and change what we're doing but I think organizations often don't recognize those leadership skills in their business because sometimes those leadership skills or the people who are true leaders are the ones who are maybe a little bit disruptive and the ones who you know are questioning things or mm. you know you talked about people finding back doors actually there's some really positive traits in someone who goes i'm being given this absolutely useless process from central and i found a way to make this work may not 100%. be in your manual but this is working for my business. It's helping my performance. I'm helping that new starter fit in because I know that the induction is pretty poor and I'm the one mm. who's going to take it on myself to take them to lunch or to 
point out that there's a way of doing this differently or no one does that even though they tell you an induction and, and a lot of us will rail against those things but sometimes those really core innate skills of the disruptor are the leadership skills you should be empowering and letting that person progress i completely agree and i think you know that that therein comes that uh, importance of coaching and leadership again that if you've got the situation that you talked about there where you've got a, an induction that is teaching one thing and then the second they go out the, the people who actually do the job have found better or more efficient ways of doing it so they teach those new starters to do it in another way and the leaders aren't really that close to that and they aren't coaching those people to find the reasons why they're doing these things and, and what actually the reasons are for finding these backdoors and, and what benefit there are and if there's any impact to them doing that uh, you know things like working on bonuses for example or customer experience or systems login all these things that the the, the end user might not be familiar with well if, if you do that and you embrace that coaching culture then that suddenly becomes part of the feedback that goes back to the training because for me it's positive disruption yeah but that positive disruption has very little cultural change because it's not embedded and dug into and like mm -hmm. you say the inductions continue to run as they were whereas the kind of that army example again what was what was happening was that by by developing those people in parallel and judging people not just by how they do their job but also how they lead themselves and others it, as part of a team not because they've got a team then what they actually found was that when when the positions became available it was quite often not the best performers in the team that got the role because others had stepped up more naturally in those situations with things like the positive disruption the questioning of certain processes and tasks looking to reinvent them those are the ones that started to get the leadership roles and everyone was a lot more comfortable with it you know the the, the great performers were, were kind of relieved that they can carry on performing greatly rather than now suddenly have to manage someone to do that um so i think you're absolutely right the positive disruption is, is definitely a, a trait of, of that but um you know it's interesting in that word itself I, I run an exercise on one of the courses that i run around traits um, and I actually go down the route of it, you're only a great leader if you're if you're remembered as being one. And it's it's rarely because of the traits, you know, I think we develop leaders, uh, certainly in larger organisations based on a list of traits. Leaders need to be this, 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 this and this. Whereas if you actually sit down and think about a great leader that you had and instead of listing the traits, list how they made you feel. What did they do for you? How did they make you feel? How did they make you better and unlock your potential? Um, you actually start getting a much more emotive way of thinking. Um, and I think, you know, culturally then to lean your leadership development to start with how you want leaders to make people feel and work towards those traits rather than starting with them actually gives you a, a much friendlier and nicer culture that's more likely to lead to that performance and results, but people want to stay at the same time. Yeah, and I think there's, you know, you see very different approaches to leadership development, as you all know, you know, there's the sort of theoretical, let's let's throw a load of models at you and give you some practical tools that you can apply. Or, you know, you've got more of the task based stuff of actually you're you're not really a leader, you are a 
here to do a load of management-ish or supervisory type functions, maybe carry out a few processes that are embedded in the people team. And you're probably still actually doing the majority of the stuff you do is work or escalations or organization. And it's 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 where does that leadership piece come into businesses that are stuck in that sort of mold? How do they break the cycle of our our leaders aren't really leaders. We haven't really got a, a business culture that empowers these things. It's still very top down. You know, you, you've got those those organisations mm. out there. So how do you sort of embed that coaching culture and, and within that business that is is still thinking in that more traditional way? Because I know mm. a lot of our listeners will be in those organisations thinking, I often hear on podcasts, these people are talking about their amazing th- things they're doing in these huge businesses and they've got huge budgets or you know they've made huge waves and I'm here and I'm you know I'm struggling to see the surface here I'm struggling to make an impact in their yeah. business so where, where should people start in terms of trying to move that dial if they are in that type of situation well I think you know the really the really kind of blunt response to this which is is what I often say to people is that there is no silver bullet for this stuff um and i would say 99% of the time if if you're being sold something that promises you that it's going to change it you're you're being lied to um because no one can promise that there are different ways of running a business and different ways of defining success uh, and one of the examples i talk about a lot is if you look at the the difference between someone say like a, a football club in chelsea compared to a football club in someone like liverpool or manchester united that sort of comparison you cannot argue that all three of those clubs have been successful. Certainly, if you go from kind of the mid 2000s and the investment Chelsea had, they have won everything there is to win. Mm-hmm. But from a leadership cultural point of view, the, the, the kind of like the standards that are put out there and the way of operating, they couldn't be more different to each other. The, the kind of Liverpools and the Man United's want to build a culture and certainly I think over the last four or five years this has been true where there's a steadiness to leadership there and an investment in trying to build connection with fans and with the staff with the players and building a team that trusts and believes in each other to mount towards success Whereas you look at something like someone like Chelsea, you look at the amount of money they've spent and the amount of managers they've gone through. And actually, the success that they've had immediately before sacking managers. Now, quite often, managers have have won a Champions League and then been sacked or won the league six months later, been sacked. They've gone through a lot of people and quite often, quite attritionally, really, that quite a lot of players and managers who've gone to Chelsea haven't really done much afterwards because... They've either kind of gone a downward step to try and rebuild themselves or never really been heard of again. Whereas the opposite, it tends to be true at United and Liverpool, that they tend to go on to something bigger because they've been growing in that potential space. But I couldn't go up to a Roman Abramovich, the, the kind of owner of Chelsea, and say, you're rubbish at what you do. You don't run a successful business because he'll go. Look at the trophies, look at the cabinet go and run down the road and compare it to what Tottenham have won in the last 20 years. Um, so I think, you know, in terms of those people who are sat in businesses now, there will be some businesses run by some senior leadership teams and owners that just don't want to run it in this way. And you'll find that it will be very difficult and attritional to yourself to do that. Um, so the honest answer there is sometimes to say, 
figure that out and find somewhere that is more likely to want to run in that way and does. However, if it is something you think is likely, I think that you know the, the key thing for me is start with the mindset change. Too often what we do, and again, these are things that I've done in the past, we try to train people into that change. So we'll train leaders how to coach, we'll train leaders how to have difficult conversations, we'll train leaders to um, build rapport and build engagement within teams. Um, but if you, if you train these things, it's a little bit like training resilience. And I compare that to training someone to be a millionaire. If I train you that, at the end of the course, you're not a millionaire. In the same way, you're not a coach, you're not resilient, you're not great at objection handling just because you've had the training. You've got to go away and then do the things and with a little bit of luck as well and work with others to achieve these things, to become that. Um, and that's why for me that the, the skill set first approach rarely works because when you go back to the organisation, something else gets in the way. I think unless someone's bought into and sees why they're going to do something and they own that, you know, it's all, all you know, we always talk about purpose. If mm. there's no purpose for the individual, if that person doesn't see that, you know, you're just pushing against everything else. You're just something else pushing that they're going to deflect off because, mm. in you know, we have, you know, you see people go on training over the years and the amount of people, you know, walk through the door. Why are you here? Been sent or whatever else of those stories. Well, we've all been there. If you've delivered frontline training that people who turn up, they've got no purpose. They are ticking a box and they're in front of you. And, you know, you are, like you said, you're you're trying to then in the room do the best with what you can. When you're yeah. then going back out into the rest of the business and you're saying, OK, why have we got that situation? What can we do? What can we link back into purpose and bring people on that? And whatever you're delivering, whatever your approach is, it's always got to start with that purpose to me, because mm. otherwise you've got people in front of you and you're you're spending a whole session trying to sell something that people don't want. Or, you know, you're again, you're, you're trying to change a, a, a way of approaching learning or development or coaching, or you're, you're trying to get leaders to behave in ways that they, you know, to Rome, your Roman Abramovich point of him going, well, I'm not going to I'm not going to buy this because I really don't believe in it. I'm not my mind isn't open to that. But mm. if, if you know, if Roman Abramovich has something that you can tap into and think, actually, I understand where your pain point is. I can understand why you're having this challenge and I'm going to get alongside you. And it's back to your coaching piece. You know, it's that influencing mm. is helping people on that journey to say, actually there is a better way of doing that and i think you know those coaching skills are part of your influencing skills yeah to change yeah. the culture they're not only for your leaders they're part of your mm. role if you're working across a business and i think you know uh, uh, there is that kind of subjective piece to that because I, I love the way you said there you know that there is a better way of doing this you know it being a better way is is is, is very kind of subjective to people it's for me, it is a better way to have a business that's built on values and vision and leads with that. And everyone knows every day why it's important to have coaching conversations, why it's important to talk to your people, why it's important to build that rapport and connection first and then performance on top of that. I think that's better. Yeah, yeah after 16 years in charge of Chelsea Football Club, Roman Bramovich doesn't think that's a better way. He thinks it is better to go out and go, right, OK, this this one isn't performing for the last two weeks. I'm going to sack him, pay him off and go and bring in someone else and throw some money at that one instead. He thinks that's a way better for him. 
So what are the kind of words? What are the definitions behind that? And I kind of go, well, for me, I think it's better because it's it's less attritional. I think that people, fewer people leave these types of organisations, more people want to stay in these types of organisations, more people want to work for each other and with each other, and more people enjoy going to work and achieving together. And I think that's really important. Some other people might not, some people say, no, I'm going to really flog it for two years and then get a massive payout and then have a year doing nothing. Great. And that's what's that's what's great for them. If there's something in you though that thinks in this way, that, that wants to work in this way, that that's the key. And to get people then to to all begin to think in the same way. And you, you can't do the whole organization at once. You know, if you've if you've got your own team and, and to your listeners, you know, if you've got your own L&D team or, your, or even if it's your own L&D design team or smaller function within it, start there and go, what is my vision for this team? And yes, there's a vision for the business. But what's your vision for that team? What are the values that that team are built on? What are the behaviours that are going to prove to you that those that vision and those values are true? And when you do that, then you can start to go, OK, we'll build on the performance on top of that. That is going to be dependent on things like coaching. So unless you can actually say coaching and conversations are crucial to the performance of this business and this is why they are and this is how we're going to measure the impact of that. Why, why are people going to do it? You know, if I told you go to the canteen every day and eat a Cornish pasty, it's crucial for the business. One day you don't go and have one and then go, oh, I didn't affect anything. Why should I do it tomorrow? <laughs> it's got to be that completely explicit and aligned link to get people to be excited about doing it. And, and to your point about learning and people to coming on to training and say, I don't even know why I'm here. It happens so often because there isn't that alignment and close connection. You know, there will be examples in yourself, James, and your listeners as well, where they have asked for some development because they've known they needed to do something and been excited about it so they can achieve something else. It might be at work, it might be in the private life, whatever it might be. And there's so much difference when you know what it is you want to achieve, why you want to achieve it, and then say, this is what I need to learn to be able to do that. I've accepted responsibility for that. I'm going to go out and do it rather than be made accountable for something that you don't even know what's going on, but thrown on a course and then say, there you go, now I'm going to measure you on it. Just, it just doesn't work as well. No, and I, th I think, you know, going back, you've had got the Roman, Roman Abramovich example, which is quite extreme. But, you know, you've got many people who are in businesses with what I'd call that sort of muddling mess of L&D that's happened over time. So they've probably not created it. They've maybe inherited yep. it. They've maybe <laughs> landed in it. There's an expectation. So, you know, they're landing in there and they're try trying to evolve their team. And, mm. you know, it, it, it's weird how, you know, I've been in this situation a number of times where you go in and people have got used to the shopping list or they've got used to what's there, the status quo, and you want to remove it. And even though everyone knows it's not great, you know, they, they know it doesn't really serve them well. People don't want to remove that. They don't want to make that step towards something else. They don't want to to change the culture. They don't want to change the architecture of, of whatever's in place. And my experience is it, it's, it's driven by two things, potentially. It's, it's driven by 
sometimes in busy businesses, people don't have the time to take on new ways of thinking or working, or they don't believe they do. They're just like, yep. this is another thing that is may, maybe important, but maybe not top of my agenda. So okay. it, it will sit there as a nice to have at number four or five on my agenda for a while, as lots of things do. It's not enough of a, an evidence base for people of a different way working because yep. they haven't seen it elsewhere. The, you know, the examples that are shared aren't really real. You know, that there is not lots of data driven examples of maybe coaching cultures really making a difference. So people will talk about it, but when you go, show me where this is working in a real place that's like here, show me somewhere that's applicable. That's where sometimes there's a kickback. And, and when you do go and scratch the surface, and I've done a lot of this across you know, the industry, you see people who win awards and you go and look at it and sometimes there isn't actually that depth or is it, there isn't the substance and people are celebrating success that's maybe a little too early or maybe yeah. just an idea or maybe just a launch of something. Mm. Well, I think, you know, the success again, it's, it's definitions of success. So how do we define what a successful ND team look like? And if, if that is bringing in a great LMS and filling it with 3,000 courses and training 10,000 people in six months on a new way of doing something. Brilliant, we've succeeded and that's awesome. But has it changed the business? Uh, and you know, your point, I think it falls into, um, I created my own uh, change framework because what I saw is that I think that when lots of companies approach change, and this is true of L&D departments, is that we quite often, jump in where I would say would be step three or four. It, that's that's a lot of people's step one, which is we've created what we know the change is going to be and here's the roadmap for it. Um, and if you're lucky, some companies come in as just a step before that and start to say, right, there's a change coming and these are the benefits of it. How do you know they're the benefits of it if you've not spoken to your people first and agreed what those benefits of it are? Um, you know, it's kind of like, you know, you go and say to someone, oh, you don't want to use that hammer anymore. Get this hammer instead. It's better. Well, this hammer does exactly what I need it to do. Why should I even bothered? Why are you even looking for new hammers? This is a complete waste of time. So have that, have that honest conversation beforehand of saying from your point of view, why is it you think there's a change required? So don't go to your L&D teams today and say, we need to change the way we're working to this. What's wrong with the way that you're currently working? Is it a lack of impact? Is it feedback? Is it something that leaders are saying they, that, that, that what we do doesn't have value? What is it? Is it a purpose thing that we're not actually fulfilling the purpose that as L&D people we want to try and fill? And discuss that with them. Let them come to you and say, well, you know what? Yeah, it is, it is great that we use this and um, and we're used to it and, it's, it's, and, and it works but really I don't think I don't think it makes much of a difference in the business or it wouldn't be I think it, actually it probably would be better if we if we said to stakeholders we're not going to do it that way anymore um, and I don't think that inductions really train people to do the job like we think it does oh this is, this is really interesting now talk to me more about that again great leadership conversations and coaching again because people don't like change being done to them but I find on the whole that when they instigate the reasons for that change and they're invited in to be part of how that will look and what might be the alternatives, 
then when that roadmap does come along and says, right, we're going for it, they're already bought into the reasons for it. They're going, well, yeah, I already know why we're doing it and I already know it'll be better. Now we've just got to stress about how to do it. Um, but you know as well as I do that if you just go with a roadmap, no one does anything for the next six months other than start thinking about, well, why have you done it? This is rubbish. This isn't going to work. Or does this mean that we're going to get made redundant? That people will make up all their own truths about why you're doing this change. So just bring them in to start with. Be honest about it and be clear about it. No, I absolutely agree with you. It's just I think it's, you know, if you're in a multifaceted, complex business, bringing all those people into the camp, you know, and then it's, it's that chunking it down. So, you know, I've certainly been there in the past and when I was in in-house roles and you are literally that the people are telling you what their business problems are or they want they want to then give you a solution you know and, and they want their solution to be their way and you know it's, it's that again it's that building that trust and that coaching relationship with those leaders you know and you see and it depends on industry you know there are very different approaches and people will think like you said if success is putting in a learning system and filling it with content you're probably not answering the right question you're just keeping people busy but that solution could be part of your success if you've got the question right in the first place. If you've gone 100%. back and, and sorted out what that purpose is. So what are we trying to achieve in this business? Are we trying to, you know, upskill, drive performance? Are we trying to open up that leadership pipeline, you know, in the way you've talked about, you know, so we want to prepare our leaders better for the future. We know we're going to scale as a business. We're a, yeah. we're a startup. We're going to develop year after year, 100% growth. Mm. You know, you can see the problems now, you can forecast those problems for the business and you can be saying, okay, we know what's happened because we can know in five years time, we're likely to be a business with a set of people who've been vacuumed up into senior roles, probably not had time to develop because the businesses have grown very quickly or conversely in a, you know, huge business where, where people stay for a very long time, you've got the potential to lose that talent if you've not got a way of spotting them and bringing them through. So understanding your context and can sometimes give you that window in the world. Mm. But getting into the business sometimes, you know, the organiser, what's right for the organisation isn't always right for the individual leaders as well. And that mm. comes back to culture. So it's a, it's a not it's again. Alignment again and conversation. So how do we align those things? Because I think, you know, ROI, return on investment of L&D teams, is always a hot topic. And I just kind of go, well, for me, you when you go to those senior leaders and you go to the CEO, asking them what are the things that really matter to you? How do we measure this business, the success of it? What is that? And, you know, and there'll be various measurements across different industries. Um, you know, I'm quite close to kind of telecoms and call centres. So things like net promoter score and CSAT, um, profit, EBITDA, cash in the bank, all, all these things are measures of success. Therefore, no CEO is unfortunately going to give a damn how many people came into a training session or how many uh, courses we've got on an e-learning system on an LMS. They're not. And you've got to think, you know, one of my kind of my one of my signature really now is that I talk about L and D are so often the people that get cut when times are hard. The restructures happened, and then it tends to be L and D that are almost the first people that are on the chopping block. And we've got to start thinking about that to go, well, why is that? 
and there's no smoke without fire that you know if we're, if we're not adding value to those things that the ceo and the senior leaders see as important directly clearly and obviously well it's no wonder they're gonna they're gonna sacrifice us because you know the sales people sell the tech of people tech support people support the training people they fill in lms well we'll do without that um and that's not to belittle what we do because we're doing it if we think of the right reasons you know no one's no one's deliberately getting up and doing this stuff on purpose but at the same time then you know i'd invite your listeners right now to just kind of like pause in a second and go next time that senior leadership team are sat around a table and and something's wrong cash is tight times are hard and they need to make some tough decisions what is it going to take for those senior leaders to look at each other and go we can't get rid of l and d though what do we need to do to influence those people to think that way about us and you know we're not accountable as L&D people for the MPS and the CSAT and the profit and those things so the best we can do is influence those guys so they go I can't sell as much unless L&D work with me I can't support customers as quickly and technically unless L&D are supporting me I can't coach my people to sell more as well unless I'm being coached by the L&D people on how to coach over the last 18 months we've seen that really become quite polarized within L&D so there are people that we know who have sat out you know the last 18 months on furlough because their organization didn't see them as a value adding function and they were okay you we can't deliver the classroom based training you deliver that stopped right so effectively someone's going through the PL going where can we strike and just put all these people on furlough remove that challenge at the polar opposite end and again talking in the same industries we've seen people who have been kept on and are part of that core crisis recovery team because they are so closely aligned to the business that they are critical to you know helping staff through that helping think about you know how we make these new ways of working because you know organizations have seen huge changes in how they're working and those l d teams have been part of that core conversation because they are an instrumental part of looking at that new way of working understanding how what our people will need to adapt to that understanding how we keep that feedback loop going so that when we're all sat working from home suddenly that we've got a way of of feeding that bit back of sharing best practice and and mm. you, you know that polarization and, and i am talking in very similar you know the same industries where you've seen yep. people we know in one company completely go and that organization now bounces back and finds you know that they've got very few people coming back from furlough because they have yep. effectively abandoned abandoned them and then you've got other similar customers that are in that industry and they've gone we have got people coming back because they have been kept in touch they feel they've been developed but a lot of that has been core to the mm. learning and hr teams actually thinking bigger picture and having that conversation with the senior teams and if they haven't got that in the first place then they literally just become we're looking down into the fog we're seeing an l d team we don't really know what they do maybe they pop up two or three times a year on a board report or they come and present some fancy yeah. idea every so often or whatever it happens to be if you're not visible not aligned to the business and you aren't visible yourself and got other people talking for you you will mm. get cut 
Well, it's, it's the old plane analogy. The, the, the planes fall into the ground. We need to shed weight to stay up. What's going to happen? Uh, you know, and effectively, in so many organisations, L and D are viewed as being part of the luggage hold. You know, we'll just open the bottom and let and let the let the cases fall out. Um, what is it going to take for us to be like? No, no, no. This plane crashes quicker if we let them go. We need to keep them on board. Um, and you know, it's it's kind of a. I appreciate sometimes it's it's a slightly romantic vision that I have around. The old story of the 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 janitor at NASA um, and JFK talking to the janitor and saying, "What do you do here?" And the janitor saying, "I'm here to help put a man on the moon." That was the moonshot. That was the purpose of the organisation. That's what they were all striving to do. You know, but most janitors would probably answer that question with, "I'm the janitor," or "I'm here to clean up or tidy up or make sure that this if the spills happen, I clean it up and all that sort of stuff." And as L&D professionals, I want you to ask yourself the same question. Like, what, what is it you do there? And are you answering that in terms of your job, like a janitor? Are you going, oh, I'm a training designer. I'm a trainer. I'm a coach. I'm an L&D consultant. Or can you answer that in terms of the moonshot of your organisation? How do you directly link? And I don't mean I help salespeople to sell you know that's not it i don't train people train salespeople to sell because you know that's the janitor going well yeah i help i help the tech people over there on the monitors to see their monitors better by cleaning it great that's still not as passionate as i'm here to help put a man on the moon how can you articulate to me as an lnd team and as an individual as a department how you directly influence that vision and mission and moonshot of the organization that you're part of and if you can't that's what's kind of reverse engineered when those times are hard and people look at it and go well to achieve this mission who do we need you can kind of almost put yourself in the head of nasa for a second say well we can't get rid of the janitor because without him we're not going to get on the moon <laughs> well you kind of say how many ceos would say that about their lnd team and therefore as L&D, what do we need to do to make sure the CEO is thinking that? And I think, you know, there's a few few points on that. So, you know, I'd, I'd probably add that in most organisations, people will probably say I'm only the janitor. And I see that in so many, yep. they belittle their role, whatever that that is. So, you know, that might not just be L&D teams. And I think it's really, you know, the point you make about being able not just to repeat the vision, but actually being able to link yourself to that vision and see your direct impact is critical. And I think alongside that for L&D teams as well, to get close to that vision, understand the teams that are most critical in delivering your vision and make sure you're supporting those as well. Because yeah. sometimes we can get deflected by supporting the biggest teams or, you know, mm. the ones who shout the loudest or the ones who've historically had budget. But we're seeing a lot of businesses that are changing, that are evolving, yep. that are adapting as well. So don't just stay near your biggest customer base or the one you've always served, but understand your business and think actually that innovation team over there or that team developing that new product stream are crucial to the success of this business yep. because we have a digital transformation strategy or we have a new way of looking at how our business is going to work. And those guys, if you're not close to them when it comes to the next job, they'll be going, 
right, those people are critical to us delivering because that's the future of the business. And yeah. we're going to talk to them about what they need to make sure that they're successful through these choppy times. So I think, again, take a step back, look to your business and look to the teams, not just yourself. Don't So don't be so egocentric in that view, but look at the people you should be supporting. Yeah, yeah it's not about outdoing each other on the project that you're working on. Yeah, it's about that project landing and understanding why that project is crucial. And a lot of people struggle to articulate this stuff, James. You know, I, I'd, again, I'd encourage listeners to just think for a second. I, I find reverse engineering the questions really, really useful for some people. And that is that think about your organization right now. I mean, the, the entire organization or company or business and go, if that company ceased to exist tomorrow, who would care? And I don't mean the managers and the and the the employees and they've lost their jobs and they be, I don't mean that. Let's assume they they have all been just they've just been snapped out of existence by Thanos, and <laughs> and they just don't exist anymore. So no one's actually in the organisation hurt by this. Just the company no longer exists. In terms of customers, why would they care? And when you can start to answer that, you start to really understand the reason why that company exists. And then the challenge is to go, right, how do I, as an individual and as a team and as a department, connect to that? And how do we help other individuals and other departments and teams collectively try and get towards that? And then you can start asking yourself the same question and go, right, okay, if that's the company and that's what the company's doing, as an L&D team, if we didn't exist tomorrow, how would it impact that? How would that customer, what would that customer feel? What would be worse for that customer? Because this team didn't exist tomorrow. And again, you get to that point and it's not just L&D, it's any team. And that, if you go as an individual and as a team and go, there wouldn't be any negative for them. I don't think they'd even notice. Well, you know, there again, you're at the head of the chopping block, ready to go when times are hard. But if you know, and you know, the customer might not be sitting there going, it's the L&D team. But if you can go, the customer won't have as great an experience because we coach the leaders who coach the people who talk to the customers. And we have the feedback and we have the senior leaders who know that without us coaching those leaders, those conversations don't go as well and customers leave. Wow. OK, so customers would have a worse experience and they'd probably leave. There we go. Right. We're getting somewhere. So, I mean, it'd be an interesting one. So ask yourself that question now, listeners. If your company didn't exist tomorrow, why would the customer care? I think it's a great question. And I can, you know, I can play my devil's advocate ahead of how people justify their answers to those questions. If they're struggling to answer it, you can imagine people going, they might not immediately notice, but in six months they'll notice, in a year they'll notice, you know, and it's again, it's, it's playing all that through, isn't it? Because if you're in that 100%. ruthless Roman Abramovich moment, it's like, well, you won't notice in six months. You might notice in a year, well, Roman Abramovich isn't caring about next year, you know, so again, it's understanding that context as well. No, I, I think it's a great question for people to ask themselves. Yeah, and if it is in six months or 12 months, at what point? Why will the customer care? What will they notice and, wh and where will they notice it? Um, and how can you make your impact more immediate? So if it is going to be 12 months before anyone notices, then they'll just rehire a, an L&D team, which is what happens. 
great okay tomorrow though what is the impact tomorrow because you're going to get brought in in 12 months time again probably because everyone who was in the organization has probably left we've got loads of new recruits and someone's gone how do we induct new people <laughs> we'll have an lnd team and so you're back on that same hamster wheel we we're on before exactly and you're in that delivery mechanism and you're just fighting fires or you're being brought in for a project or a solution and you're not moving beyond that and i think that comes back to my question earlier of those people who are in that place you know and it is you know there's some great questions you've given them to ask themselves and then it's how do they move themselves from i've landed in here my function was probably came about after the last crisis we cut the team we were brought back in our budget's tied to delivering some induction some compliance training a bit of potential development you know and and it is a knotty issue to land in that and just think about i've got to then take my function on a journey to start to be able to answer that question because I've landed in a place that wasn't rooted in putting the man on the moon or yeah. ensuring that key customer is there or ensuring people rush to buy our product as soon as it's released because it's the biggest event of the year to them or whatever your organization's mission is yeah. and if you're in starting in that point I think you've given us some great insights and you know questions to ask yourself as to how you start to build that journey towards that yeah. place start start it absolutely start it small think to yourself what what is it that i could do and then what lnd teams and this is you know the, this is the good and bad of lnd teams that we're sometimes not our own best role models in, in in what we preach so we'll preach you know that people should have their own development time we'll preach that leaders should coach we'll preach all these things and then quite often in LD, we don't have enough time set aside for ourselves to develop and we don't coach within our own teams. So start with our own team, because you know what, if let's say, for example, you're one business partner out of five business partner in LD team. If you work differently than the others because you want to try something different and you're doing it with your stakeholders and they're not doing it with theirs. Then the news starts to travel around. Well, why is he doing it differently? Or why is she doing that? And eventually people want to go back to the main way of working. So how can you influence your team's way of thinking about this to start with? And how can you collectively then agree? Because, you know, one thing that tends not to happen well, certainly the larger organisation that you go, is trying to change everyone at once. How can we run an experiment? So let's go back to that example. We've got five business partners. All five business partners are now of the same mindset that this is worth a go and we're all going to agree that one of these business partners begins to trial that way of working and when those other stakeholders go back to those other four business partners and say what the hell's going on over there that communication is happening because we know collectively with the business that that's a trial of a different way of working and the results of that will either be worse they'll be better or they'll be the same but whatever they are we review it well, it was worse. Why was it worse? What could we do differently? Could we make it better next time? And let's experiment again. You know, the greatest inventions of all time were never successful the first time round. And if you give up just because it was worse, we'd we'd never have taken flight for God's sake. We never we wouldn't be in planes. We wouldn't be watching TVs. So keep experimenting. If it's better, whoa, hang on a minute. What's going on here? Why maybe we should all try this? If it's exactly the same, start going to some of your softer metrics. Well. It's achieved no more and no less, but everyone seems happier or it happened a bit quicker. 
well that's got to be worth exploring as well so start small get people thinking the same way about this stuff within your own team and then start to expand it outwards don't just kind of go rogue and try and do it on your own because invariably you just frustrate yourself as i've done in the past uh, and then you end up moving on and try and do it somewhere else that's great rob thank you for joining us today i think there's been some really valuable lessons and questions for people to take away if people want to continue the conversation and follow you what's the best way of them doing that uh best and easiest way is uh, find me on linkedin that's where i'm the most active um so just look me up as rob moores on there um you'll see uh my posts and my videos uh, i've also got a youtube channel and a podcast so um my own podcast is leadership untitled um which you'll find on all the the usual places probably if you're listening wherever you're listening to this one you'll find mine there as well somewhere um uh, and other than that rob at robmoors.com Thank you, Rob, and all of those details will be in the show notes below. Perfect. Thanks, James, and thanks for the invite again. Pleasure. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Learning Reinvented podcast. We hope you enjoyed it. If you've not already done so, please follow our podcast. And if the learning effect can help you and your organisation, please do get in touch. You can find both James and Katie on LinkedIn and our contact details are in the show notes below.